And we will now read from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Luke 2, 8 through 20. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem, and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your King, now reign in our hearts and bring this message home to us all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the course of Advent, we considered the theme, born a king. And we saw in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, the genealogy that traced down through Joseph's side, the stepfather, the legal father of Jesus, not the biological father, but legally his father, and therefore a genealogy that mattered to Jesus, we saw on his side the genealogy through all those kings of Judah, directly from King David. On the mother's side, we noted that as it is recorded in the gospel according to Luke, that Mary also was descended from David through a different son, not through Solomon. Yes, Jesus is born a king by descent. And we also learned in Matthew 1.25 that Mary brought forth her firstborn son. And that being meant in an earthly sense, she was a virgin. This was her first offspring. 
Yet we also learn that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Not meaning that there ever was a time that the sun was not. It, the sun was always in existence. But rather that the eternal sun has the prime place of authority in all of creation. He is the king of all and the king of creation. Jesus was born a king. And he was acknowledged as the king of the Jews by wise men who came from the east, of whom they were inquiring when they arrived in Jerusalem. And learning that he would be born in Bethlehem, they went on there. And they bowed to worship him and gave him gifts, acknowledging that he was king not only of the Jews whom they were seeking, but also the king of all humanity, including them, the Gentiles, and worthy of their worship and deserving of their gifts. And then last week, we also learned that this king was protected. He had a secret service. Just like our president had protect, has protection, he was protected by the angelic visitor who came to Joseph, telling Joseph to escape off to Egypt. And there he resided until it was safe, coming back from Egypt. He came back to be a savior to his people, just as Moses had gone to Egypt to be a savior of God's people. We saw that connection in Matthew 2, verses 13 to 23. So that Paul was able to write of the liberty we have, liberty under this king. A king defends our liberty. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So what remains for us to consider today is how do we respond to this great work of salvation which we have reviewed? And I'd suggest to you that we would first echo the glorification of God in the highest, which is our response to the good news declared to the angels who glorified God in the highest. Verses 8 to 14. And second, look for and believe upon this thing which you see there in verse 15, a thing revealed for us. And God gets the glory because he made it known to us. And then finally, we should respond by glorifying God in telling about and treasuring Jesus. Verses 17 through 20. And so beginning with verses 8 to 14, note there's two sets of speech in there. There's the singular speech of one angel to uh, the shepherds, where he, the angel of the Lord, speaks to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. This is a declaration of the gospel. The good news is declared that one has been born who is a savior, who is Christ the Lord. And thus, it is a good news which buys into and fulfills all the Old Testament preparation for a Messiah, for a, the Lord who is coming. I myself will come and be a shepherd to my people, the Lord declares in Ezekiel. And so here we see 
the gospel proclaimed. And this is worthy in itself to be leading to the glorification of God. Now, Mary and Joseph believed their messengers had been angels in both cases. They believed what was told to them. I believe they were believers already in the promised Messiah. And so there was faith in that place of, of, of Bethlehem. But note here that the angels in verse 14 glorify God before anybody declares or shows any kind of faith among these shepherds. The proclamation of the gospel itself is worthy reason for the angels to bring glory to God. We don't have to have anybody putting up their hands and coming down the aisle. We don't have to have anybody kneeling by their bed and accepting Christ to glorify God for the proclamation of his good news. And that can happen in your own personal life, around your living room table, around your kitchen table. It happens on Sunday mornings and many Sunday evenings here. It happens in Bible studies and your small group uh, Bible studies and you're sharing with a sister on the telephone. When the gospel is declared, whether faith is expressed or not, it is worthy of the glorification of God. And it is indeed a peace that is proclaimed. For we see the angels say, glory to God in the highest. And this is the group proclamation of a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. My purpose today is not to unpack the details of that last phrase, but it is to say to you that peace is the result of coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And glory to God in the highest is an affirmation of the kingly character of God. As we read in Psalm 24 of him who is on the high and holy place, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. That's the King who gets the glory in the high place on his mountain. When the angels say glory to God in the highest, they are referring to the King of glory. But I'd suggest to you also, that the king is not only the father in heaven getting the glory, but it is the spirit bringing this message to the shepherd's hearts that gets the glory. And it is baby Jesus in the manger who gets the glory. Martin Luther spoke of that baby in these words. I quote, of course, in translation, the one who lies Muling and puking in his mother's arms, all the while restraining Satan 
is born. Unquote. The great reformer declares that this one who is whimpering and crying quietly, mewling, and even puking in his mother's arms, has a kingly role to do. He is restraining Satan. The position of the church fathers like Augustine, Cyril, and Athanasius was to affirm what came to be known as the extra-Calvinisticum, or what could be called better, the extra-Catholicum, which is saying this is the teaching of the Holy Catholic Church through the ages, that Jesus' divinity was not limited to that body in which resided his humanity. That the Son, even in his incarnate state, as Kevin DeYoung points out in a reference to the Heidelberg Catechism, in other words, the Son, even in his incarnate state, is able to live a divine life outside his human nature. Or as the Heidelberg puts it, since divinity is not limited, and is present everywhere. It is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity he has taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. This is what the fathers taught and understood of Christ's incarnation which means he remains the king. He fights against Satan in him, as it says in Colossians 1, verse 17, all things hold together. As it says in Hebrews 1, 3, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Yes, the eternal son was born a king and remained a king, sustaining the universe even as he was embodied in the flesh, fully human and fully divine. And so this day, I call you to glorify God in the highest for the proclamation of his gospel, for the proclamation of this gospel, that God has all things under control for you in this year and the one which will follow. He holds all things together. You are not subject to the whims of Satan. You are protected from the right hand of the Father by the King, now ascended King Jesus. He is your King and protects you. Give him the glory with the angels. And then 15 and 16, when this thing is seen, God gets the glory. So it was when the angels had gone from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. The angels gave the shepherds a specific sign, a clue, if you will, as to how to find the Savior among all the babies in Bethlehem that night. The one you're looking for is wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he's lying in a manger. That's how you'll know which one. And this is part of what the phrase 
this thing refers to. It also refers to all the truth packed into those words by the angel that born to you this day in the city of David is a savior who is Christ the Lord. The Greek word behind that phrase, this thing, the Greek words are tuto chrema, which is a different word for word than logos, which is more familiar to us. The word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us, full of grace and truth. This rhema has, uh, if it's possible to say, a more powerful meaning which speaks inherently, not just by implication, but inherently in the word is the, the word, the phrase, the utterance, but inevitably the outworking of that utterance in practice so that it can be translated here by the King James translators and then the ESV and all the uh, modifications of the King James, they don't translate it word. They say, let us see this thing that has come to pass. It's a rhema which has become a reality. And I just declare to you, this is reason for glorifying God, that what the angel has uttered in the name of God has now been fulfilled and believed. You see, here's where the faith comes in. I told you in the first point that any declaration, any proclamation of the gospel, whether anybody gets converted that day or not, is worthy of praise to God, glorifying God. But here we see these shepherds believing. They're going. Let us now go. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of deliverance. Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 3, verses 13 through 16? How he referred to the bronze serpent lifted up on the pole in the wilderness when Israel had rebelled and gotten bitten by poisonous snakes when many were dead and when the snakes were still out there and still biting. God told Moses to put a bronze serpent on the stake and tell the people to behold it and see it and to look upon it. Now, this isn't just seeing, oh, I wonder if that snake's there. No, this is like, okay, God, I'm dying. I just got bit by a snake. And you told me I'll live if, oh, I will look. I will believe you, O oh Lord. And so our looking upon Christ even as the bronze serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man shall be lifted up. And you know that was at the cross of Calvary that he was lifted up. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The looking is linked to the believing. And here we see them believe. Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing. They're believing that this son is born and God is glorified in the believing. God is glorified, glorified in the coming and the depending upon God and the trusting upon him. And they came with haste 
and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I recall moments of holy desperation in my 20s after my mother was killed by a hit-and-run driver when I thought nothing would ever go right in my life anymore. But I rested in this. I looked to Christ because, partly because she had told me to. And if I was going to honor my mother, I would honor this truth. I rested that the Savior was born. The Savior had died. The Savior had risen from the dead. And in a strange and odd way, the first Christmas after my mother was killed, my brother and my father and I were motoring up to Massachusetts and we hit a slippery patch and we decided to go off to a diner called Uncle Will's Diner. We had passed it many times, even gone in a couple times, but it looked particularly beautiful that night. As the lights were on, the steamy windows you could see, you couldn't see in because everything cooking was steaming. And we went in that night and we sat there and we saw on the menu that they were serving oyster stew. Now, what does oyster stew have to do with you? <laughs> well, it had something to do with me because my mother always made oyster stew on Christmas Eve. And it didn't save me, okay? It didn't mean that it didn't save me. But it was a sign, a sign from God that there's going to be some normalcy in your life. You're going to still get East, oyster stew, even if it's from Uncle Will's diner. And you know what those truckers represented to me? They represented the shepherds because they were the everyday people on the road. They were on the road on Christmas Eve, and there were some big rigs out in the parking lot, just like those shepherds were out in the fields. And what I'm trying to say to you is that God is going to bring signs of his life and his hope into your life. Would you believe them when you see them? And life will go on. And glorify God in that moment when he gives you his grace and his salvation. And then read with me of verses 17 through 20. When God is glorified in both the telling and the treasuring of Jesus. Yes, in the telling. This is a message for all. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. All over the place, indiscriminately. This is what's called the free offer of the gospel. We tell the good news to everybody, and we let it lay. And we just leave it up to God. And it means that unreached people groups should get this gospel. Poor people in Haiti should get this gospel. Those in Irian Jaya out in the jungles should get this gospel. Those in the urban centers of Belgium where the lamuses work over there, they need to get this gospel. From the uttermost to the guttermost, they need the gospel. All people groups, all economic levels, those who are living the appropriate life in the eyes of society, those 
who are derelict, whose lives are falling apart, who are literally lying in the gutter and need somebody to pick them up and bring them into the church. God is working in all these places. And that is a telling which brings glory to God. Because as I've read to you often, as my wife often reminds me of this verse, I share it with you again. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 4. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. When people are saved, they thank God. And therefore, they bring greater glory to God. And so I ask you today to share the gospel. I, I recognize in my own life there were legalistic ways I looked at this. I wanted everybody to be on my evangelism explosion visitation team at Six Reform Church. I wanted everybody to be on it. Of course, not everybody was on it. But I sort of had this pecking order of those who were on evangelism explosion and those who were not. Oh, what a foolish young pastor I was. But I want to tell you, it needs to go out everywhere. And if you want to walk around neighborhoods with me, just tell me someday and we'll go do it because that's my calling. Okay, I got a calling. I love doing that. Once I get there, I love doing it. I don't like leaving the house and driving there because that's, I'm selfish. I, I like my own time. But when I'm there, I love telling people about Jesus. And, and if you feel called to do that, join me in that. But the second way is the treasuring here. And you see, this brings glory to God also. And I want to tell you one reason it does. It's because she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart that this gospel is even before you. Luke wrote this gospel and the great uh, commentator on 2 Timothy, which I really depended on, Thomas Oden, used to be a Drew University, Drew University, he was like a refugee from the liberal church, and he just came back to God and became an outstanding uh, proclaimer of the gospel. This man suggests that it was Mary herself who kept record of these things in her heart and told Luke when Luke visited Jerusalem with Paul and told him of all the details of the Christmas story from her point of view. And that's why we have it in, the, in, this, in this record here. So we need those who are going to uh, treasure these things in these two senses, keeping and pondering. Keeping is the word, uh, has the prefix sum on it. He, she's going to keep the facts straight. This is what happened. I had an angel appear to me. I went to Elizabeth. I went to Bethlehem with my husband, Betroth. I then had these strange shepherds visit me, and they told me that the angels had said to them, that there is going to be this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And guess what I discovered at that moment? That I wasn't a bad mother for putting baby Jesus in the manger. I hadn't somehow let him down. Have you ever seen a mother who's like wondering about 
you know, like, oh boy, did I do enough for my baby? Did I do enough for my kids? This is the moment that Mary discovers this is a divine plan that the shepherds said, you know, we heard this from the angel, and here is your baby. Wow, what a connection. And it was a connection for her, too. She got the facts of the gospel down. But then the second word is pondering, and it's sumbalo, which means to consider. It means to throw back and forth in your mind like a ball. You're throwing these thoughts around, and you're pulling them all together. And that is where the meaning of it all comes. And perhaps at this moment, a thought like this crossed Mary's eye, head. <clears throat> wow, laid in a manger. That's a humble Messiah. That is a humble Savior. Because even God told the angels to tell the shepherds about it. That wasn't any mistake. That wasn't me and Joseph letting down the, the, the responsibility. That was God's plan. Does that mean that there is a humble future for my Messiah? Does that mean that this Messiah might even be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53? All that is speculation. But I want to tell you that we have both the facts and the beliefs, the, the, the truths of the gospel and the doctrine of humility, of self-emptying, which Paul would then bring out in Philippians so eloquently. Philippians 2, that the eternal Son of God made himself nothing on our behalf. So today, glorify God. Glorify God even as you ponder these things and keep them in your heart. And share them abroad as the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God. You can glorify God in both ways. Glorify the king in the highest, who is also in the manger. Glorify God, even as you receive Christ. If you've never trusted in Christ, trust in him today. Behold him in the manger, rude and rough. Behold him on the cross, rough and ready to bring agony upon Christ, even as the Father forsook him at the cross. Come to this Savior and trust him. And tell the news abroad of this great salvation, pondering it in your heart. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your gospel, that, which is worthy of our praise, even in the plan that you have made from before the foundation of the world. Oh, Lord, we glorify you for that. And I glorify you that many, so many of us have accepted Christ as our Savior and Lord and know him personally. Continue to work in our lives Continue to use us as messengers of your peace in our homes, in our communities, and through this church and through our own giving to missionaries around the world. And Lord, help us to treasure and ponder these things in our heart, that we would be ready at a later date, at the right moment, even as Mary spoke to the evangelist Luke, to put it all together for somebody and be able to glorify you in that moment. 
We praise you. We honor you. We make much of you, even this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn is 163. And you might wonder, well, this isn't a Christmas hymn.